You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we're talking about the Detroit Institute of Arts. I'm Linda Shepard, and I have some special guests today. Their names are Will, Hugh, and Nell Shepard. They are my grandchildren who visited with me at the museum today, and we all attended the very impressive Star Wars costume exhibit. Will, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Perhaps you could uh, give us our little commercial here. Yeah, so uh, this episode of Comeback City is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offer 15-minute historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure today. So, we're going to be talking about the Detroit Institute of Arts. We're also going to be talking about Star Wars. A lot of Star Wars. We had a lot of, we had a couple of major Star Wars fans, Will and Hugh, at the exhibit. And now I think enjoyed it a lot. And now I think you have a Star Wars joke to tell us. Okay. Well, why did Anakin Skywalker cross the road? Why? Why? To get to the dark side. Oh, very funny now. Good job. In fact, I, I have a joke to back that up. Where do Jedis buy their lightsabers? I don't know. Where? At the Darth Maul. Oh, at the Darth Maul. How about you, Hugh? Got a joke? Yeah. What do you call a bounty hunter mixed with a tropical fruit? I don't know. What do you call a bounty hunter mixed with a tropical fruit? Mango fat. Mango fat. <laughs> okay. Well, it's first of all. Quite the smoothie. Yeah, it's quite the smoothie. First of all, let's hear a little bit about the Detroit Institute of Arts, which is Detroit's very, very beautiful art museum. Do you all agree? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very pretty. It really is very pretty. You are absolutely right. You know, and to me, it's like a beautiful place. Even if you're not interested in art, it's just a beautiful place to go and be surrounded by, you know, just beautiful architecture and the rooms are beautiful. Um, I know we stopped at one of my favorite spots, and now you told me it was also your one of your favorite spots in the museum, which is the Kresge Court. Yes, it is a cafe in the museum, and it looks like an out. You're outside of a building, to basically, and it looks like like a cafe. Outside of a building. It looks kind of like a garden. And the furniture is beautiful inside. And it's got kind of seating areas. Like where we were sitting, there was a sofa and then two really comfortable chairs and a coffee table in between. 
And then there's a little book area where you can go get a book to read. Something I really liked about it was that there was air conditioning, so you weren't melting while you were looking at all the beautiful stuff. It was really hot today. It was, you know, we're recording this in July. Today's July 3rd. And um, it was in the 90s today. It was really, really hot. So the Kresge Court um, is another just great place to just sit down, take a break from, you know, looking at art and walking around the museum. I highly recommend anyone who goes to the Detroit Institute of Arts to take a little break in the Kresge Cafe. They do have snacks there for sale. Um, they were closed by the time we got there today, but we still enjoyed just sitting down, relaxing, looking at a few books. What were the books you guys were looking at? Um, there were books about animation. Yeah. yeah. A lot about, like, movies and animated movies, so. Yeah. yeah. The museum goes out of its way to make sure every room is individual and beautiful and innovative and it all flows together very well to create this experience, I guess you could call it, where it, I was it, never not entertained. It is an experience going to the Detroit Institute of Arts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to say that my grandchildren, um, maybe you could give us your ages. Will, how old are you? Yeah, I'm 14. Nell, how old are you? I am 8. And Hugh? I'm 11. You and know, also, we're from Seattle, so we don't go to Michigan that often. We, this is one of our few times we've been to Detroit. And I think the Detroit Art Museum is a great representation of Detroit. Well, I was impressed by the way all of you seem to really enjoy being at the art museum. I mean, now you were just thrilled with the Kresge Cafe. Um, Will, I think you just were kind of impressed with the overall beauty of it. And I think we have possibly our biggest Star Wars fan in Hugh. Hi. Hugh, let's talk about the Star Wars exhibit. Um, First of all, I want to say it's a traveling exhibit. It is at the DIA right now. We're Like I said, we're recording July 2018, and it's going to be here in Detroit through September. What did you think of it, Hugh? Um, I thought it was really interesting. And also, they had the this guide, kind of. Yeah. Um, that you could listen to while you walked through the exhibit. And each costume or gallery had its own presentation. Yeah, it was like the audio guides, you know, like the little wands that you hold up next to your ear and you kind of press the buttons um, for the numbers that go along with the exhibit. And they had two different versions of the guide. They had kind of the adult guide and the young Jedi warrior guide. Yeah. Yeah. What I really liked about the exhibit, the costuming exhibit, is that the costumes were the real costumes that the Star Wars people wore. Yeah, these were the actual costumes. Yeah. For sure. So that was really cool that I actually got to be seeing them in, like, real live person. Was there any particular costume that you liked more than any other? I know my favorites, but what about you? Hmm. Well, I can't really decide because I liked all of them, but I really liked um, 
The queen? Yeah, the queen Amidala's. That's what I like. Yeah. And she had a lot. Yeah. And Huey, are we pronouncing this right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Queen Amidala. And there was some discussion about if she was at one point in one of the movies a princess. Yeah. and the I think in the first one and maybe the second, she was a princess. And then, then she was the queen. Yeah. And her costumes were absolutely gorgeous. gorgeous. What was your favorite part of the uh, exhibit, Will? What I was most drawn to was the sketches, the original sketches that were done by a lot of the artists that helped create the costume. And they were scattered throughout the exhibit. And it was a real way of showing, like, the journey before the outcome of showing, like, the process and how, like, they originally imagined these characters, what they would be. Yeah, I found that really interesting, too. Yeah, like Darth Maul, if you see, like, his original designs, he looks so much different. He has, like, long, stringy hair that comes down. In fact, like, George Lucas told the guy that created Darth Maul to create his worst nightmare. And then what the guy created was so horrifying that George Lucas had to tell him to take a step back and <sighs> try so it funny. again. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was your favorite part of the of the exhibit, Hugh? I really liked the part that had all the droids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me and, too. Um, so I saw some designs that showed how people fit into um, R2-D2 and C-3PO. Oh, well, yeah. wow. But I'm not sure if someone could fit into BB-8. I, I think that think if so. they did, they'd just be stuck in a ball and they'd get rolled around a bunch. So I think, I think that right. was entirely a robot. I think you're right. For yeah. Sure. I, I found the sketches very interesting, too, especially the sketches of R2-D2, which originally they had planned to be moving around on a ball, kind of. But when that first Star Wars movie was made, they didn't have the technology to do it. So they saved that and used it on BB-8. And Chewbacca's roar is actually based on a, wa- on a ro- walrus. Bear and lion. Wow. I know. And I think I also read or heard on the audio guide that George Lucas's dog was kind of the inspiration for Chewbacca. Yeah. And his dog was named Indiana. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And I I really like the um, stormtroopers, too. And... Hugh, you were telling me something interesting about the stormtroopers, that they are all clones. Yeah, they were all clones of um, Jango Fett, who is a bounty hunter. And then for some reason, probably because of resources in the newer movies like The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, they use normal people, not clones, though, which is why Finn isn't a clone. Oh, Interesting. So let's go into a little bit of history about the Detroit Institute of Arts. So, you know, in Detroit, we call it the DIA. And it really is a world-renowned art museum. Its start began in 1885 when the museum opened in a building on Jefferson Avenue. So this is actually the second location. Um, in 1927, the museum moved to its current location on Woodward Avenue, just north of Warren Street. 
The DIA has over 65,000 works of art, including an extensive American art collection. It contains art from all over the world, spanning a period of centuries, including ancient, Asian, African, Oceanic, Native American, and Islamic works, as well as contemporary and modern art. So um, I have a question for you guys. You know, each room is considered a gallery. The DIA is kind of divided up into different rooms, different galleries. How many galleries do you think the DIA has? Well, just going off what we've seen and how big the thing, I mean, I mean, I was so close to getting lost in there. I'm sure I would if we had gotten separated. I would say they're about over 40. Actually, there are more than 100 galleries. Wow. Also a reference library, a conservation library, and meeting and lecture spaces. That's a lot of rooms. That is a lot of rooms. That is totally for sure. So before the museum opened, Detroiters would attend art loan exhibitions, kind of like touring museums. And um, it kind of led to the creation of a board to start a permanent art museum back in 1883. And donating money to the cause were some of Detroit's biggest names, including Russell Alger, Senator Thomas Palmer, and George and James Scripps. Um, an eight-month funding campaign saw almost 2,000 people donate more than $100,000 in today's funds. That would be $3 million. And by 1886, they had raised the money. So they chose a site and an architect for their building, and several locations were considered. One was on Martin Place near Harper Hospital. And the second was on 2nd Avenue. Um, the issue was hotly debated in the newspapers, but finally settled when a bunch of landowners and supporters gifted land for the museum at the southwest corner of Jefferson and Hastings. And right today... I-75 meets Jefferson. So that original museum is long gone. It was the home of General Hugh Brady, who had served in the American Revolution. And uh, he donated the, the site, which saved the board a lot of money. I don't think I'm related to him. Hugh Brady? definitely not a different hue so um they started building and there were 52 designs submitted to a panel of three architects gordon lloyd mortimer smith and e.e myers um so the committee went through the work and uh they chose William Balfour of Hamilton, Ontario, who entitled his design Wisdom, Strength, and Beauty. And you know what? I like that. Wisdom, Strength, and Beauty. I mean, we were talking before about art and beauty. Mm -hmm. And do you think art is about beauty? No. 
Well, I mean, it certainly depends on the piece of art you have. Some arts, I think, especially this can be a lot in painting and sculptures, or in even more contemporary arts like dance or music. I think art can be about that beauty, but I also think there's a large part of art that isn't about beauty, or they have a different definition of beauty than we would call it. What do you think, Hugh? I have no idea. Any thoughts? No. Well, it's a lot like Will said. It depends on the piece of art that you are looking at. But beauty, it can... It means different things to different people. Yeah. I like the idea of wisdom, strength, and beauty. Um, I think of art as something that elicits emotion and you want to have the confidence that there is wisdom in that piece of art. You want it to be strong and I want it to be beautiful in some way. I know not all art is beautiful, but that brings out a very strong emotion, beauty. I think every piece of art is beautiful to some person. I think it has to be beautiful to the person that created it, or it has to be thought-provoking or meaningful to the artist that created it. So I think in in each one's way, every single piece of art, you know, from from a rap song to a painting, has its, its, its beauty to one person, one person or another. I agree. So the original Detroit Museum of Art looked like a medieval castle. It had a colonnade with five round arches supported on red granite shafts, and it was flanked by two conical topped side windows with turrets and round arched windows. Wow, they were really trying to protect that art. They were, yeah. It was kind of a fitting home for the antiquities that would be housed within and sculpture galleries in an office occupied the first floor, and a skylighted gallery for paintings filled the entire windowless second story. Um, visitors reached the second floor by climbing the winding stairs and the castle-like corner towers. This building, which was actually quite small when compared to the huge size of Detroit's DIA, cost $56,000 to build, which would be about $1.6 million today. So it opened in 1888, only 16 months after the opening bids for construction. There was surprisingly little fanfare. The paintings on display were borrowed from private Detroit collectors. And the first exhibition ran for two and a half months and drew fewer than 25,000 visitors. The critics were not in love with the building. Um, It was described as looking as much like an old waterworks as the new waterworks out on Jefferson looks like a museum. Actually, the waterworks on Jefferson are beautiful. And so I could kind of see the comparison, actually. I don't think that was supposed to be in a positive way, though. Uh, Probably not, but they are beautiful. 
So at the time that the museum opened, Jefferson was a pleasant, mostly residential street lined with elm trees. Today, only the Trowbridge and Sibley houses and the Christ Church survive from that area, giving us only a small peek into that past when Detroiters could leisurely stroll along a tree-lined avenue and pay 10 cents to get into the museum. So James Scripps, the newspaper owner, was a major art collector and said the building of a museum in Detroit provided an opportunity for him to realize one of his dreams. For several years, it has been a favorite idea of mine that Detroit might be made the art center of the West, he said. He spent the equivalent of millions in today's dollars on art around the world and presented the huge collection to the Detroit Museum in 1889. So the roots of the DIA really go far back into history. Quite far. Yes. I mean, right now it's 2018. This whole thing started 1860. So, yeah. I just have to go back to what Huey said, Hugh said before about that somebody probably couldn't fit into the BB-8 costume. I, I know think that you're was right. a long time. Yeah. Well, maybe they had a controller to move it around. I bet they did have a controller to move it around. I think uh, he was talking about how it really was a robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, back to 1889. Let's go back in time. Um, the museum opened an art school in a converted stable. And the school's best known pupil was painter Myron Barlow. And other classes met in the museum basement. The museum's collection grew through donations from Frederick Stearns, George Go Booth, Ralph Harmon Booth, and Charles Lang Freer, among others. And by the beginning of 1893, it became clear that the expanding museum had run out of space. So I know Charles Lang Freer has a house on Ferry Street. And we drove down Ferry Street today. Yeah, on our way through the rich person's neighborhood. Yes, which is actually the Boston Edison neighborhood. The houses were very big. They were huge. Absolutely enormous. That's where all of Detroit's very wealthy people built houses, built mansions, really, the Detroit Edison um, neighborhood. But Ferry Street is actually right next to the museum, and Charles Lang Freer has a beautiful, beautiful home right on Ferry Street. So um, they wanted to expand the museum, and by 1894, the addition was nearly complete, and the museum's collection had grown to include everything from paintings and statues to moose heads tarantulas to model ships. Attendance grew, and in 1894, it was more than 60,000, and that number climbed to more than 
thousand by eighteen ninety seven. Uh, that was an impressive number, considering the considering the city's population was only two hundred and eighty five thousand in nineteen hundred. Wow! And at the time, twelve percent of Detroiters didn't speak any English, and one in ten Americans was illiterate. So, really, back in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, the DIA became a sort of cultural center for the people of Detroit. I mean, you was at least a fifth of your population was going there. Yeah. So now we come into the 1900s to the era of the automobile when Detroit became boomtown. It was just this enormous boom of wealth and population. You know, Henry Ford opened his factories. You could get a good job. You could earn $5 a day in the factory. Wow. It doesn't sound like much now, but believe me, in 1910, it was an enormous amount of money. Whoa, enough to buy an entire donut. <laughs> That's about it for today. But uh, back then, you could do an awful lot with that $5 a day. So a new Detroit Institute of Arts was planned. Um, the mayor at the time was James Cousins, and he appointed the first arts commission, headed by Ralph Booth, Edsel Ford, which was Henry Ford's son, and the renowned architect, Albert Kahn also sat on the commission. Kahn would influence the choice of the new museum's architect and help make Detroit's art museum one of the finest in the country. So the Detroit Museum of Arts was renamed the Detroit Institute of Arts. And the art was to become property of the city in December of 1919. And just as important, the city would be in charge of picking up the tab for further acquisitions. It wouldn't be just donations. It would be the city paying for art that the people could look at. So... Albert Kahn, who has designed so many beautiful buildings in Detroit, was asked if he would design the DIA, but he said no. Instead, he personally selected Paul Philippe Crete, a native of Lyons, France, to handle the task. And he formally turned in a proposal for the museum in late 1920, modeling it after the Cleveland Museum of Art. The price tag was $2.5 million, which would be $31 million today. Uh, but the commission ruled it was too small and made other changes, bringing the total to $4.5 million, which is about $56 million today. So um, attendance for the very first year reached 146000 Remember back... You know, a few years earlier, they just were not getting that many people. 
And uh, the first year, it hosted special events and lectures 88 days of the year and held 22 special exhibitions. So as time went on, it became more than just a museum of art. They were showing more and more things. The art school. They were even bringing international people on to help create what was, I think, supposed to be like a jewel of Detroit. Right. Yeah. And they started collecting more art by very important artists like Degas, Monet, Whistler, John Singer Sargent, Rodin's The Thinker, which is a huge sculpture, bigger than life-size, stands outside the entrance to the DIA, looking out over Woodward. And uh, he Rodin's The Thinker, that like, Classic one where it's a dude and he's like got his forehead on his knuckle. Right. That's just, exactly it. He's just thinking. Yes. The statue was cast by Rodin in 1904 and was given to the museum by Horace Rackham in 1922. Whenever I have homework, I try and do that. I'll just like get on the my thinker. Bed. The thinker. Yeah. It's never worked. Right. But you know, it was act- that thinker was actually at the other museum, the first one. It was once it was at the museum on Jefferson five years before the move to the DIA. Sometimes if I'm really having trouble, I like get a light bulb. I'll just hold it over my head and try and get some new ideas. Is that thinker the real one or a replica? There are a bunch of thinkers that Rodin all did. He did a number of thinkers. So there are a bunch of thinkers in a bunch of different places. He kept doing... You know, little slight variations on the thinker. But we have a really good one. Are you a thinker? No. (laughs) So basically, the museum has grown over the years into a masterpiece of beauty. And it really has. Greatness. And greatness, for sure. So that old castle on Jefferson... It served as the city's art museum until 1927, actually, when everything in it was moved to the DIA on Woodward. And the DIA opened in 1927. Um, you know, the old castle remained, though. It was turned over to the Public Welfare Administration for the last 10 years of its existence until the old museum fell to progress. By 1957, it was announced that the museum would be raised for the Hastings Expressway, which today is known as I-75, the Chrysler Freeway. And the museum was torn down in 1960. So I think we've talked about the past. We've talked about the present. With the Star Wars exhibit. Let's talk about the future. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about the future. Okay, some very exciting news has just been released about the Detroit Institute of Arts. They are the board of the DIA and along with Midtown Detroit Incorporated, where the DIA is located. I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, The DIA... DIA is located in Midtown, which is approximately 
four miles from downtown, straight down Woodward Avenue. And Midtown is one of the fastest growing areas of the city. So the Detroit Institute of Arts and a bunch of surrounding museums are all located within Midtown. It's a great place just to walk around, even if you're done with the Institute of Arts. You know, you can go through Wayne State University, whose campus is it's just right across the street. Right there. You can also go through the um, the Detroit Arts Cultural Center, I think, is there as well. The Science Museum yeah. is right there. The um, African American, the Charles Wright Museum. Um, if you ever go to Detroit, take a few days and just go through Midtown. It's really amazing. That cultural center is fabulous. So these two groups, the DIA and the Midtown Detroit Incorporated, really recently announced that eight finalists have been selected to move forward in the DIA Plaza and Midtown Cultural Connections design competition. 44 submissions representing over 10 countries and 22 cities from around the world were received. The competition centers around enhancing and enlivening the visitor experience in the arts and cultural landscape. And uh, with a design strategy uh, that will connect all 12 educational and cultural institutions in Midtown Detroit. So the goal is to find the right design to engage the public year-round on the grounds, as well as improve wayfaring, walkability, and connections by nearby cultural institutions, including the Charles Wright Museum, the College for Creative Studies, the Detroit Historical Museum, the Detroit Public Library, the Hellenic Museum of Michigan, the Michigan Science Theater, Science Center, the Scarab Club, and Wayne State University. This is intended to transform Detroit's arts and cultural district. Um, the eight firms are making 45-minute public pres- presentations, followed by 30-minute question and a answer sessions. Um, three finalists will then be selected, and the three firms will make public presentations January 23rd, 2019 at the DIA, and the winning team will be announced in March 2019. I cannot wait to see what they are going to come up with. Yeah, we'll go visit it again. We will definitely go visit it again. We will be walking around. Uh, I think uh, they. I have heard that they are looking for something similar to Millennial Park in Chicago, wow. which would be absolutely amazing. And I cannot wait to see what the future holds for the Detroit Institute of Arts. I want to uh, thank my co-hosts today, Will, Hugh, and Nell, for giving so much very interesting information. Thank you for having us on. Thanks. You are welcome. This was really exciting. It was. 
Thank you for join, joining us on our journey into Detroit's past, present, and future. We invite you all to explore the Comeback City.